Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sans Pants Radio. Australia's most biased podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Demrose. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show we have a Sydney, New South Wales born but Melbourne raised comedian and recently did a show where he got won all the stars. Just just all the stars, really, wasn't it? Oliver Coleman. How you doing, Oliver? Very good. Love to be here. Thanks for having me, George. <laughs> you seemed mildly uncomfortable as I was talking about the uh, reviews and stuff like that. Um, no, 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 not uncomfortable. I just wanted you to make sure that I was just nervous you weren't going to say that. So when okay, you did, well, I felt better. Okay, that's good. I like to make sure my guests feel comfortable very early on. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. That's all right. It's a treat. It I, is. We were just talking before coming on. The first time I met you was in Glasgow. Beautiful, rainy Glasgow. It was at the Great the Stand Comedy Club. Yeah. that's uh, you were And you were like, like you you – we're very well known there. I remember being like, oh, fuck, this guy's... Because that was packed that night as well. It was like, how many... What was the capacity of the room like that? Yeah, I reckon well-known is is a stretch. <laughs> um, I... Uh, the capacity... Oh, like the stand is like maybe 300, 250, 300 yeah, was, in Glasgow. And I love and it. They great, just cram them in. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been on the Red Raw night, which is like a Tuesday night. They do an open mic night mm. where... You uh, just, you know, you sign up and then a few months later or whatever, you get a spot. Or you can, although it's like comics trying new material and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun. And they pack it in with students. So it's always a really good vibe. Yeah, it was such a good vibe. It was just, yeah. You did your uh, 80s, yeah, New Yorker guy. Did I? Yeah, the classic. So it's been going, it's been going for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, because you were there for a couple of years, right? Glasgow. Yeah, I was in Glasgow. So I moved... I moved to Glasgow um, in twenty the end of twenty sixteen, and then I came back to Australia at the end of twenty eighteen. How is the difference between Glasgow and Melbourne for comedy? Well, pretty good. I mean, I didn't really start doing much comedy until I kind of got to Glasgow, like gigging a lot. Um, I had done a sketch show with my friend Emil in the twenty sixteen comedy festival, and that was kind of the first comedy that I'd done and then I did like raw comedy that year and that was my first ever gig and then had done like a couple uh, and then I did like a solo show at Melbourne Fringe in 2016 after having done like you know four gigs or something nice but <laughs> love that love it that was more like a, uh, there was less stand-up I mean not that I just do stand-up these days but it was like more like theatery and, and characters and stuff um and then I'd done, like, a couple of, like, I might have done, like, one night at the Imperial Open Mic and then, like, a spot at the Wild or something before moving to Glasgow. And so I was only really in Glasgow that I started, like, gigging a lot and doing lots of comedy. Mm. Um, yeah, but before that I was, like, act, acting and doing th- theatre and stuff. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's, that's what led you into it. And then and, what, and what's the scene like, though, in Glasgow compared to Melbourne? For, for someone who's, like, just trying to work on it, is it good or is it bad or is it better, same, different? Um it's it's good. I mean, like, the fact that you can go to the stand, I mean, it takes a while to get a spot and, like, perform in front of, like, a huge crowd when you're, like, just starting out is is great. And there's other clubs, like, 
uh, Monkey Barrel in Edinburgh, and then there's another stand in Edinburgh. So, like, the nature of this, I mean, it's just like the UK is just like a great place to do comedy because there's like, one, there's more of a pathway towards making it like a, a feasible economic reality just because there's like large population centres close to each other that have like working comedy clubs, you know, throughout the week, every weekend. Like a city like Glasgow has like, I don't know, like a quarter of the population of Melbourne or something and there's like, you know, a bunch of like weekend comedy clubs that, mm. that, 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 that people go to. And then there's Edinburgh like 40 minutes away, which has the same thing. <laughs> yeah, um, people don't realise how close. <laughs> it's, it's weirdly close, Edinburgh and Glasgow, like 40 minutes. Yeah, so close. And then there's just like a culture of like going to stuff. So it's like, it's, 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 um, yeah, it's great. I mean, there's probably, um, I would say maybe you can get up between Glasgow and Glasgow, maybe like if you're like just starting out like a little less than you would in Melbourne, but usually the gigs are better quality. <laughs> <laughs> More than three people? What do you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that's that's the difference. And also, yeah, I mean, it's also uh, – uh, it's yeah, yeah. There's like a Glasgow's. Uh, you know, it's uh, what what was? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're not feeling very relaxed. <laughs> feeling stressed. It's, I was just asking if the scenes were different. So yes, you've answered. Oh, that. the scenes yeah. are different, man. Yeah, yeah the scenes the are same. different. They're different. What else do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was putting you under the under the. Oh my god! <laughs> Enough with these questions. Ah. Oh! <laughs> I feel attacked right now. <laughs> Jesus, I come on this podcast. You start asking me questions. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think about it. All right. Just, Take a step back. <laughs> I'm, take, I'm taking a step back. It's, I was out of line. So You're out of line. For, yeah. Thank you for letting me know. I'm sorry. <laughs> asking. asking what was your question. time like? <laughs> um, and actually, yes, I do got to mention this. But, so just quickly, because your style of comedy is. Uh, it's fun. It's different. I feel from a lot of people. When people ask you, oh, "What do you like?" Do you ever actually have a ready answer for that, or do you not have an answer? What am I like yeah, as yeah. a comedian? Um, I say generally, I do like absurdist, uh, silly stuff. Mm. Um, sometimes like character stuff, more theatrical stuff. But the stuff I've been doing lately is like the stuff I've been writing lately this year is more kind of straight stand-up than I've done before. Really? In, in terms of like, it's not really very joke-heavy. No, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's, Coleman. It's, 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 it's funny. <laughs> but it's more like about creating like a vibe in the room or something as opposed to just like observational stuff. Okay. You know? All right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love to see you. Yeah. And you, and you, like I said, you go – you. Cleared out all the stars, all the all the stars during your run this year. Uh, yeah, yes. Blake. So I did a show with Blake Everett called Blake Everett and Oliver Common Dig Their Own Graves about two struggling shovel salesmen on the run from the Russian mob. Uh, doing a show about two struggling shovel salesmen on the run from the Russian mob. Yeah, and it was good. We we got some good reviews, mm. which was nice. Sold out most of the shows. I mean, it was a good year for a lot of people at the comedy festival because none of the international acts were here. True, so. no competition. It's great. It's great. It's yeah. great. Keep it's a- COVID going. <laughs> Keep it going. Yes. Monopoly. Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that that's uh, no. I love seeing it. But uh, so we'll we'll go into more about you. I guess. But let's let's start with the book. You've picked an interesting one. Okay. So what your book of choice for today is? Yeah. So I, cho- I chose the Savage Detectives by Roberto Bolaño, uh, <coughs> Chilean author. And do you want to give some? Uh, well, so so basically, I I don't, I didn't know it, so I've only done some very cursory uh, research into it. But basically, it looks quite strange in terms of how it's designed and what it's about. Yeah, it is strange. I mean, I was trying to think of a book to 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 think about, and um, I read a bit, um, but no books have really. I don't know. This was just the last book I read, and I read it years ago. That like I don't know. I felt like had an impact or something when I read it, or it just like stayed with me or something. Okay. Not that I remember a lot of detail about it. <laughs> but I just remember oh, having... This has been a roller coaster already. <laughs> it's just, I read a lot, but I didn't read this for a few years ago and that's it. And I've forgotten it all. But yeah. no, no. I just remember having a strong, like, uh, emotional uh, connection or something. What, what's it about? It's, um, it's about a group of young poets. It's kind of broken into three sections or whatever, or... or yeah, it's broken into like three sections. It's about a group of young poets in Mexico City called, um, they call themselves like the visceral realists. 
And I think that the, the, the first section's like set in the, in the seventies or whatever. And so the first section is these like teenagers or like people in their early twenties who are trying to like live this kind of bohemian life. And they're searching for this kind of like mythic figure. Who's like the, the person who started the visceral realists, um, this like kind of strange unknown poet back in the twenties. And then the first like section is just about their kind of like fun bohemian life kind of in Mexico city and the second section is from the perspective of like a whole bunch of different narrators. I think there's like 40 different voices or something who are talking about some of the figures in the earlier um, section. The, the Roberto like, Bolaño has a, um, an alter ego called Arturo Bolaño, who is kind of his figure, which is in that book. And then also in a bunch of other books. And then the last section is, um, what happens in the last section? I think the last section is them trying to finally find that kind of mythic poet person who so, started the visceral realists. So, so okay. Um, so, so like the second section is a bunch of people almost like a, like when a documentary films a bunch of people about, oh, what do you think of when this guy was coming through? Like, is it kind of like that? Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. It's them kind of reporting on their like minor interactions with these people or maybe it'll go down like just like talk about some random stuff for a while that happened to like some random figure and then one of these people like pop up just like in a bar or something whilst it spent 30 pages talking about just this person's life. <laughs> it's so odd. <laughs> it's a different book. Do you like the kind of more stuff like that? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like... It just doesn't seem... You seem confused. Like it just doesn't seem to be a classic narrative structure. It seems to be... Yeah, it's not a classic narrative structure. Yeah. I feel like... Um, I feel like often when I read, I'm not like super into like plot and narrative. Often it's like the anyone seen your comedy though? More <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, it's more like the experience or something of, of reading it. I think the mm. reason I like this book, I probably read it in my late twenties or something, and I remember reading like a book like on the road or something in my like late teens or whatever, early twenties. I feel like that's such like a touchstone of like, um, like being like a teenage boy or whatever. Like it's such that like book that you read when you're like, Oh, I want to like do art or, or like get into comedy or whatever, those sorts of things. But it's a really like, I feel like on the road is something that's like quite like romanticized and like, um, yeah, that like, bohemian artistic kind of life is is, is is idealized kind of and then i like the savage detectives because the first section of the book is like that and then the second section and the third section are kind of like the aftermath of that where everyone's kind of like drifted into obscurity and their lives have fallen to shit <laughs> <laughs> They're just the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or they're, like, just alcoholics and that sort of thing. And I think it's, like, great because it, like, captures that, like, energy and, like, passion and, and of youth and, like, someone who wants to, like, make art or whatever. And then it also, like, follows that and sees, and, and sees what Shows happens. Shows you where it goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it never, like, it not and it's not, like, cynical or whatever and it doesn't, like, discount, the, like, the value of, like, that, that that kind of life, but uh, um, but it is giving you the full picture. It gives you the full picture. <laughs> yeah, you're like, why didn't anyone tell me this on the road? All right, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, tricked. exactly. And like that's what happened to like um, Kerouac or whatever. Like he did on the road, and then he became like an alcoholic. And like his later books are like, you know, yeah, his life sucked after. That. <laughs> he was very unhappy. Um, yeah, and I feel like this book kind of captures all of that in 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 one, and it's also like very playful and and fun. Something that I like in fictions and that sort of thing is like one is like is like the the use of like false um, false narrators or like false like realities and, and that sort of thing, and it, and it's fun. As if false is in like the person's lying, or false is in like just the world's made up. Like, what do you mean exactly? Like, where you can't tell what's real and what's fake. Oh, okay. Like, because, like, Arturo Bolaño is, like, the name is very close to Roberto Bolaño. So you don't know how much of this aligns with, like, his life and his kind of – because he was young as a poet in Mexico City as well. Um, and, yeah, and, like, the, the – I can't remember the name of the city, but the city is kind of like a made-up city 
in um in Mexico. It's called like Santa Teresa or something, but but it's based on a real city, but he's given it a different name. So all of I just it's there's something fun. I'm not quite sure what it is about like the the creation of like the like play between what's real and what's and what's fake. Mm. And and is it like sometimes because I haven't read it, uh, does it take it to like extremes where it's very obvious or is it usually actually quite dancing in that could be real, could be not, or some of the characters just completely outrageous as well? Is yeah, it- yeah, some, some of them are completely outrageous as well. And like it plays in like genre and stuff, like he's got all these like, yeah, like in like his other books and like his, his characters go from like books to books, like they're, they're, in, they're, in, they're in different books. Well, how much have you read of this guy? Yeah, he's got some other great books. Like he's got this other awesome book called Distanced. I like I like yeah, fictions about fictions. Like he's got this other book called um, the Nazi Literature of Latin America, where it's just um, it's kind of like a fake reference book, where it's just descriptions of different fascist authors in Latin America, um, and it's I I really enjoy. There's something about like reading like false biographies and that sort of thing and uh it's it's meant to be funny it's pl- it's it's playful yeah. you know it's playful it's playful like he's got this book, book called distant star which is about this um fascist chilean poet who is also a pilot and writes like sky writes poet fascist poetry in the sky <laughs> um and I guess all of the, like I don't I'm not I don't know much, but I guess all of that's related to like the fascism of like the the, the Pinochet era or whatever in in, in Chile and stuff. And then like uh, yeah, those other books like like the Borges, the, the 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 Jorge Luis Borges, like his books I like his stories where they're like um like made up stories about other books. He's got that where it's like a made up reference book about a whole kind of mythic place like mm. world yeah i like fictions about fictions and i think yeah so is that like so that's that's i'm my my depth of latin american reading is probably actually quite slim <laughs> you've got seem to have a few is that like something you like like that area is that something you, that's distinct or is it just that just happens to be what uh, you're referencing right now i think it just happens to be what i'm referencing right now Right, they're related to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, right, yeah. Because I've I've read any of uh, and that's probably Borges. the extent of my reading. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I'm done. Yeah, yes. I'm done. Do you know some fairly fancy Latin American authors, and then that's it. That's, <laughs> that's uh, it, the yeah. street cred is already established. Yeah. Okay, so like, so that's the idea of the meta analysis of stuff, right? That's what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you do you like that? Like across? Did you always like that, or is that something you developed over time? Or is this kind of like it? Just this is almost too obviously playing into what I've seen of you in terms of what you do on stage and stuff like that. You seem to like playing with conventions and playing around with like talking about the thing you're doing and stuff like that. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Like at the moment, the stand-up that I'm running is kind of like comedy about doing comedy, kind of. Yeah, which sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I've managed to make it interesting and and funny. Yeah, yeah. And and that's I mean th- that sounds awful as well. Like it's a book about <laughs> a bunch of poets searching for a poet, but it's done in like a really playful kind of fun fun way. Yeah, see that side of it as well because that's something you bring to the your the stage, I guess I should say, like the playfulness. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that, it's just weird that like it's, it's just perfectly slots and says like, did you pick this because of that, or is that a connection that's just like there? I think so. I think it's like something that I think about. And also like I enjoy like sometimes the conventions of comedy of stand up is that it's like I think the audience is is trained to think of it as like an autobiographical kind of performance or whatever. Mm. And it's about kind of self revelation and, and truth and that sort of thing. And so I think it's fun if you can play with those expectations and see how you can like undermine them. Like it's, it's, it's enjoyable to like see how you can weave in like false biography and that sort of thing. All right. So yeah, you go out of your way to like, not go out of your way, but that's, you actually write with that intent in mind a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, like, I think it's like a, co- like, like uh, a- yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Like, I like what you say, George, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm doing that now. 
But I think there's like other like I find it interesting those people who do do that like um like that new that newest Bob Dylan documentary where it follows him on the Rolling Thunder tour. Oh, have you watched it? No. It's funny because it's like it's got interviews with him and interviews with a whole bunch of other like famous people, and it seems like a totally legit um, documentary until you like start realizing that it's just like all horseshit and totally made up. And they've got like <laughs> Sharon Stone in it talking about how she was like friends with Penny Baker and, and that sort of thing and was like there on the road making the the concert with them. And it's just like I think it's 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 interesting that idea of like a person creating their own um story that yeah that isn't re- related to reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like as in it's it's always like uh, yeah. It's interesting doing that uh this is a tangent now. But uh the like the the fictional okay, most obvious version of this ever, people who make up stage names. Yeah, I'm always like, how do you come up with a stage name that you're going to be happy with forever? It's so hard. So I'm always impressed with people who like when you hear the good ones as well, like Elton John. You're like, oh, that's such a good stage name. Yeah, I find it incredible. I couldn't, and now I feel like like Oliver Coleman. Like I'm lumped with this name. Like it's, I think it's it's all right, Oliver Coleman. It's fine, but it's like it's like it's cumbersome. <laughs> To the to, to say, there's too many syllables. It's too close to like Olivia Coleman. <laughs> That's not it's, a bad association, though. Yeah, but you don't want to be associated with someone who's like doing much better than you. <laughs> um, there's enough of a gap, I think. That's right. Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I, I find. Yeah, George Demarellis has none of those problems. George Demarellis is great. That's like a. Bow. I don't think so. <laughs> All right. So the, f- to go back to the book for a second, actually, with, in terms yeah. of that, you're talking about how like the difference was you read The Road and that's, I'm sure, just an example of when you're younger and then you see this version when you're older and you get this a bit more perspective on how it all works. Did that, reading The Road back then, have an Im- impact on you? Do you on reckon? The Road? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. It was like, I remember, I probably read it in like year 11 or year 12 or something when you're reading like, kind of the boring books that you have to at school. And then that seemed, I think maybe my English teacher or something recommended it. And it um, it was cool because it was like a group of like people getting together who wanted to make art and, you know, be in the world in, in, in like an interesting way. I think so, yeah. I mean, I think, I feel like a book like that is like, Seems like hack and, and like ah uh, yeah and it's totally trite and cliche now and, and also and like so problematic as well yeah the stuff. politics of it are, are, are not good now because mm. um, the main character doesn't really create anything he just kind of lives doesn't he, he just, yeah and I think cruises that's, yes yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 and I think that's like I, over time I read it again in my twenties and I, I, I felt less affection for it one because like Kirik is like not particularly like political in a way that like other people like Ginsburg or something were from like the beat stuff. And then, yeah, also all, like, the politics of it, all the gender politics and that sort of thing are bad now. Um, yeah, so it did It did have an impact. It was, like, one of the first books that I read that I was like, oh, cool, this is, like, a, a book that speaks to me or something. So a friend, like, you're like, yeah, I just want to not kick back, but I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to go be part of the machine, man. <laughs> like, that sort of thing. Yeah, but then, you know, I went and joined the machine anyway. So. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Which machine did you join? What did you no, do? no, I just go to uni and that sort of thing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get out of the machine. That's what you mean. I yeah, know, yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you were so um, we always do. We always had a passion for like acting in theater and stuff like that. Yeah, I used to do it at school, and then I went to uni and I studied um, law for a while. Okay, and then I okay, was, machine. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. <laughs> Making more sense. Yeah, but then whilst I was at uni, I started doing like heaps of student theater and stuff, and kind of sucked into that and ended up doing more more of that than like going to lectures and that sort of thing. All right. So you're just like, fuck it, I'm just gonna do this now. Yeah, but then I dropped out I dropped out of law school and went to um acting school. All right. And then yeah. and then you yeah, I guess did that for a bit and then started with the comedy stuff. Comedy's good because at least you can like perform your own stuff faster, I guess. The overheads are lower than theatre. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you do pack in a lot of props. The yourself. economics stack up. Yeah. 
I'm an I'm not an economist, but this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, yeah, that's like the hard thing about like theatre and acting. It like takes a lot more to get stuff on. Whereas like comedy, you can feel like you're like constantly working because you have an idea and you can go. Yeah. Do it in an open mic night that night or whatever. And did you like always like write stuff as well, or was that a thing that developed with you looking at comedy and stuff? Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was like at acting school, like my I, my aspirations were always to be like a a theatre maker person. Like it was never really. I mean, if Hollywood came calling, I'd pick up the phone. But you know, I think but I'd my, let it ring a few times first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think my aspirations towards that were always like fairly realistic. What I wanted to do was like make theatre, and then I never really did that in the in the in the years kind of just after drama school until I started doing comedy because I was like I could never really like think of the project that I wanted to make and um the sort of theater that I liked I never had the self-confidence to make like I liked stuff that was like boring and (laughs) like experimental and challenging where it would be someone like Someone I like to watch was like someone like standing on stage, like boiling the kettle, and you're like just like st- sit there and watch them boil the kettle for four minutes. What? Um, but I was never going to make work like that because I would just assume that the audience would find it boring and walk out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then I started. Yeah, how much of that is confidence or just self involvement? We're like, ah, you just watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then I don't know. I just and then for some reason I. I actually can't like pinpoint the the what actually got me into doing comedy. Like I remember as a teenager, I'd listen to like Bill Hicks or like you watch those like Eddie Murphy specials or whatever. Mm. I remember having like a Rodney Roode CD that I liked <laughs> back in the day. But um, that that I like as a teenager. But then it wasn't until I was like twenty or something that I started like actually I think when I was doing the, like a play in the Fringe Festival and I, w- I used my pass to go see a bunch of stand up I think I was watching like a bunch of like I don't know for some reason I got into watching Stuart Lee somehow and was watching a bunch of that classic yeah yeah and that really clicked with me and then got into got in got into it that way All right um and then just been kicking goals since right it's been slam dunk <laughs> after slam dunk Oh, baby. <laughs> what have you had? So just because, again, I do know your stuff can be quite uh, interesting. So have you had situations where the audience just completely not with it and you just got and you just keep doing your bit and you're like, this sucks so bad? Yeah, I've bombed. I've had some good – yeah, I've had some bad, bad bombs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. You, you would have some almost gl- glorious bombs with, like, what you do, which is almost makes it fun again in a yeah. weird way. Yeah, I mean, like that New York guy. Mm. Generally, I do like an 80s New York comedian character, and he generally does like well. But then I remember one night, like I was doing like a tent at Adelaide Fringe, and that was like also like a big night. <laughs> it was like 300 people or something, and I was doing it, and it's like a five-minute bit. Like it goes for a long time. Yeah. And it was like silent. <laughs> For most of it. Someone even shouted out. They go, what's going on? <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> <As you. laughs> That's so good. Oh, it's awful. Serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Someone actually shouted it out. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it goes – you start off, yes, doing the – it goes weird. It does go from memory. It does go a bit strange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't just keep it to this just generic, hey, yeah, you have to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's part of what makes it fun. But, yeah, that, I, I, actually that's – to tie it back in as well, like as in because you always, you do add that extra layer of character to what you're doing. You don't just sit on the cliches. You always seem to add in a bit more to what's being done, right? And is that again an intentional thing, or is that just something you just naturally do? Um, I think so. I think I try and add like a little extra element to whatever. But like that '80s comedian it ends up going to it where there's like a multiple dialogue between different, like a husband and wife in a in a New York apartment. <laughs> Um. <laughs> it does, yeah. It does get straight, but yeah, because like I'm just tying it back to the book again. Like, is in the uh, the because it's a character. Like, you like the characters, you like the fake biographies. It sounds like you just like that element, right? Like fleshing that out a bit more than just sitting on a cliche. That's what I meant when I was saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I guess we should take go back to the book more. <laughs> okay. No, because you're um. So to go back to the book, I guess uh, you. So you like reading in general. Yeah, I go. Th- I'm one of those people who goes through like phases. Like I'll read kind of a lot and then not read a book for a few months or something. All right, okay. Um, I'm not like consistently reading. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I don't, yeah, yeah. It's something like there's a good. I, I sometimes I find it hard to sit down and read, and um, I feel like I'm referencing all the like the cliche people like Kerouac and. David Foster Wallace and that sort of thing. But there's a, there's a good. <laughs> Don't worry, bro. There's a good, there's a good, there's a good, um, there's a good interview with David Foster Wallace. You're definitely a type of dude though. I'm definitely, yeah, I'm, de- I'm exactly. At least I know who I am. Yeah. From yeah. Garouac, now I'm going to talk about David Foster Oh, he's a wanker. Oh, I get it. Oh, good. No, um, I've never, not read Infinite Jest. Um, no, but there's, uh, there's an interview with him on, on on YouTube where he talks about why Americans don't read more, and he says that um, there's like it's such like a silent activity as opposed to like watching TV or like doing other things where there's like noise and it like fills the space a bit more. Mm. But like when you're like sitting in a room and reading a book and you're alone, it's like <laughs> it's like quiet. And, and lonely and he talks about this like dread that sits in and that like falls when you like sit down in like because you're just with yourself yeah in the quiet and it's like you it's like yeah you get filled with existential dread oh my sometimes. god <laughs> that's what he describes I'm not, it's not like an intense experience but that's yeah, like yeah, that's- it's like hard like it's much easier to like you know switch on a screen or something where like you don't, where you're like connecting with an outside thing and it's not just yourself. Yeah. I never actually thought about that. You've, you've blown my mind. Cause that's a concept I'd never actually, I know technically David Foster Wallace yeah. has blown my mind, but I still, you, you channeling his words to me has blown my mind. Cause I never thought about that. It's very true. Cause like, I always thought of like reading the issue is just the effort required. Like as in you can just passively sit and watch TV. You don't have to do anything, but with reading, you actually have to, think yes. but i never thought about the element of like just the yeah the emptiness yeah the silence and just like you're just sitting there and like yeah there's nothing yeah yes i wonder if you've just ruined reading for me forever i hope so <laughs> this is the last episode of the podcast uh, the yeah but i guess that's also why it's rewarding right because you're forced to like overcome that <laughs> I never even thought it was the thing to overcome. And then, like, you have to sit there with your own thoughts, and you think more, and 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 you come to something through that experience of overcoming that <laughs> dread and alienation. <laughs> this is grim. Okay. 
So, so, so basically, you go through bouts bow where you read until the dread gets too much, and then you're like, I need a break. Yeah, and then I, I need some colors. Yeah, with some colors. cartoons. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, but it's, <laughs> yeah, never never heard that before. Yeah, I I, I connected with that. <laughs> On a deep level, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's all right. Yeah, just because I want to know what kind of informed, because like I've had a few people on who do like the uh, more I, I I'm gonna say meta sort of stuff, which I guess yours is kind of that. Was you saying you kind of like that stuff, or it's about the act of doing it? Is that what you? Yeah, I think so. I like some meta stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, medium. I mean, I also like reading. Um, not everything I read is heavy. Like I like reading light books. I like reading books by comedians. Um, Best book by comedian? I read um oh this isn't it's not like a lot I I read the prettiest horse in the glue factory, um which is Corey Whitehead's like biography about oh, right. him growing up in foster care and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a great book, very interesting. I'm studying social work, so I was kind of interested in that as well, like just like the foster care system and that sort of thing. Okay, but with this book here, right? You said you read it in your late twenties. Yeah, yeah. So you had a you had a bit more experience under your belt, and you're like, I wanted to see a more holistic picture of uh, what this kind of lifestyle is. Not yeah. necessarily the negative, but uh, you know, just to see it bigger. Did you feel like that was more? Did you like it just because? I'm guessing it didn't reframe anything because you'd lived it, <laughs> so you knew the more realistic picture of what that lifestyle kind of led to. So was it just nice to see it kind of put into fiction? Yeah, I don't know if it, like, revealed anything great to me, but it's, like, fun. It's interesting to see, like, because there's so many of those books where it's, like, you know, a young man as an artist, you know, portrait of the artist as a young man or on the road or all those kind of young man, young person wanting to be a artist books and those, like, Bohemian life books, but this one kind of was that, and then it was something else, and mm. it became. Um, it was just done in a much more kind of complicated, playful, yeah, yeah. fun way, you know. Yeah, no, sounds uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to add more. Then <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to add more. Then there was nothing more to add. So and the writing in it was quite—it's quite playful, as you mentioned as well. Um, the to go with the writing stuff because actually I don't ask enough comedians this. Do you sit down and write? Yes, I do. Word for word. Yeah, I um, I do sit down. Where, uh, yeah, I sit down and write it word for word. Generally, I'm. I want to. Yeah, I'd like to get to a point where I wasn't doing that because sometimes I feel like. I'm aiming, like my aim is to be much kind of looser and improvisatory, improv- improvisory. Improvisation? I want to improvise more on stage. Like <laughs> yeah. much looser on stage and more dynamic where you can kind of react to whatever's happening in the room. Uh, and so I think with like an hour show, I can I can tend to do that because you've got like the the, the playfulness and you've got time within that when you're doing like shorter bits or like comedy nights. It's a little bit harder if you're like testing it. You're like, oh, I've got this seven minute bit to test out. I've got seven minutes, so I'll just do this and steamroll through whatever happens in the room. Right, and so you'll actually write seven minutes, like the full seven minutes will be mapped out, basically. Sometimes, yeah, I tend to write like longer bits, like five minutes or right, because yeah, it's just this is actually surprising me just because of like, like I said, it's character based and it's quite uh, wild what you do up there. Um, yeah, I always thought that improvisation would be a big part of it from the start. But you're saying actually you write out. Well, how like it's go. Uh, so, I tend to write it out, and then I, I won't have learned it well enough. So I'll have to improvise the first few times I do it, and then, um, and then usually by then I kind of know it well enough that I can kind of play a little bit more with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it is it is quite written. Right, but I yeah. suppose yeah. My aim is to have it not seem that way. <laughs> well, you're succeeding. That's all right. Yeah. That's good. But um, because like, yeah, in terms of just the joke structure and stuff, because do you just sit there and be like, eh. <laughs> and like write it out like that? Like as in you just kind of, do you get the voice in your head or the idea of what you want to do? Like where do you start with it, I guess? Blank page. Um, you know, generally I feel like writing, writing comedy is like frustrating, I feel, because I feel like your best things just 
come out almost fully formed, you know? Like that New York guy is like a really bankable bit or whatever that mm. I have, except for that one time in LA. He's <laughs> <laughs> like a good bit. And I reckon- What is I, happening? What the fuck? <laughs> it's amazing, bit. Wait, this is my good stuff, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is my killer material, yeah. guys. <laughs> um, but- yeah, like that would have come out, I reckon. I would have just sat there and wrote it pretty much word for word, almost word for word, as I do it now, like in like an hour and a half or something. Really? Yeah. Whereas other times, <laughs> it's like you'll have an idea and you'll plug away and you'll do it at like 10 gigs and it like gets a bit better, but it's never like, it's never as good as the stuff that just comes out in like one chunk. Really? It just pours out of you. I yeah. do feel like that's kind of true, just because like, well, but you can't, you have to do the grinding to try to get that stuff, which uh, does come out naturally, right? Yes, exactly right. And I think I've gotten better at like just sitting down and writing. And I have noticed that like once you start writing, other ideas happen or they'll lead to make you to think of something else or like you can take this one bit and put it somewhere else. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's only really been this year where <laughs> – where I've been able to sit down and sometimes I'll just like write like brainstorm at this top of the page or something and then I'll just like write. And uh, so much of it you get rid of, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just like pads, pads that you get rid of. Yeah. Pads, whole pads you just like. Not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you do freehand writing? Yeah, I sometimes, yeah, I feel like I, I tend to write with a pen and pad because it's more work. And so you write less. So I feel like laughs, you get to the punchline or something faster when you write with a pen. Whereas if you're at a computer, it's easier to type. So you can be, um, you just, keep, just, you just keep going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like you're more efficient when you write with a pen and paper. And unlike with a pen and paper, you can like write something and then you've got like a page there and you can like cross stuff out and write something above what you crossed out. And so you can see what was there before and what that you've edited it to. Mm. It's, yeah, it's more like, yeah, it allows I like more that. freedom, you know. <laughs> I love this switch to self-conscious. <laughs> you were doing all right, and you're like, yeah, it's late, anyway. So David Foster Wallace was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The pen is mightier than the... Um, okay. Uh, did you feel like when... So, again, I'm just... Uh, it's something which I haven't heard before in terms of the angle uh, of this book, going with the Bohemian stuff to then showing the aftermath almost. Um, did you feel like you, like... I definitely went in with a naive perspective on what was required in the industry to get anywhere. Um, did you notice that as well when you went in or were you a bit more realistic about it? Are you still in denial about elements of it in terms of the comedy career? Um, the arts, actually, I should say more generally. Uh, I feel like I don't think I, I don't think I was ever like naive. Like I remember being at drama school and thinking – I'll probably have to work like other casual jobs for the rest of my life <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to do what I want to do. And at that point I was like, oh, I want to make like experimental independent theater. Boil some kettles. Boil some kettles. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's, that's what I'll do. Oh, so that was actually a realistic thing you. Yeah. But the reality of doing that <laughs> is different and whether or not that's like sustainable and it's much hard. It's hard. And I've been, I, got, I finished drama school in like 2013. So it's been like eight years. And it, there's been like enough progression for me where I've like kept doing it each year. And I've like developed as like a maker of stuff enough that I've kept myself interested in, in what I'm making. Um, I think your like ideas about like success or whatever shift. I mean, like the like what like what are we talking about in terms of like success? Like the idea is to like pay your rent. I think it's like a financial thing. Like pay your rent from your art. I think. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's I guess that's part of the question. I suppose. Like, is that what you reckon? I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, it would. Be, I'd like to do that. I like. I like to be out of pay my <laughs> rent by just making art. Um, yeah. 
But the only reason I'm saying is because it sounds like when you first started out, at least, you were like, I'm not going to be able to pay my rent and I don't care because I'm going to be creating stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, well, that's just the way it'll, the way it'll be. But so, then, like, it's, t- it's exhausting. Like, it's exhausting working out the jobs and then, like, doing comedy and stuff as well. Like, it's... It's wild. It's yeah. a lot. And it's like it gets harder as you go along. Like, it's easier when you're 25 than it is when you're 32. And I imagine it's only going to get... Yeah, just tiring wise. Yeah, more, yeah. I'm only getting it more tired as I get old. <laughs> <laughs> it's got grim. Uh, um, yeah, but but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's good. <laughs> well, I guess like because now you mentioned it, it's something I like. Yeah, so your measure of you always wanted to be creative. Like this was obviously comedy isn't an avenue to make money unless you get super successful, but you were like literally not even that was deep secondary, any of that to you being creative, to you creating stuff, to you pushing boundaries, all that sort of thing. Is that right? Um, pushing boundaries. Yeah, but like I mean, I always guy. wanted, I always wanted. I love Kerouac and pushing boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I know I always wanted. Yeah, I think so. But like, I mean, still you hope that yeah, like yeah. you do well enough or that enough people like what you do that. They pay for it, and you can pay your rent doing it. Mm. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how we go. But you know, maybe we'll get there eventually. This might be your last episode. <laughs> my, my last episode. <laughs> this is going a little bit grim. Um, no, no, that's true. That's a. No, it's just interesting that attitude, I guess, because like I don't know. I probably didn't think about it any of it enough going in some of it, but I was just like, fool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the other I guess the other uh, only stuff I was going to say this could be just a two second thing um, uh, with the false narrative false history stuff we were talking about before right the false narrative and stuff like that do you and I, I realize I kind of touched on it with the Elton John thing a little bit um, is, is your do you reckon your history is boring um, yeah that's interesting like a little bit like it's kind of just like uh, a person like a normal childhood in the suburbs or whatever. Yeah, a little bit, and that's funny because like a lot of the people, like Bob Dylan, had like a similar kind of upbringing, I suppose. And then he's created this like false, false history or whatever for himself. Yeah, yeah, a little. Like I mean, it's my yeah, a little bit, a little bit boring, but it's also like not necessarily what I find. Like I feel like. What I can bring to like making stuff is or like isn't like necessarily like my own like just reporting my own experience. It's kind of like how I see the world or like how I um co- what I come up with as mm. opposed to like necessarily just kind of reporting what's happened to me. Oh yeah, definitely not. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah, as a generic uh white straight dude experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sadly, yeah, it's been heard, by the guy you've lot, yeah. the guys you've referenced have already yeah. done that. Yeah, they've done a great job. Damn it! <laughs> um, but no, like I like uh, there, there's something about like just that trick of like a false um, narrative or a false documentary. I remember when I was a little kid and I watched this um, documentary on TV about how they had faked the moon landing, and it was just like I randomly turned it on in the middle of the day on like SBS. And it went like detail for detail about how the moon landing was faked. And it was amazing because they'd interviewed like, and they must've given them a script and stuff. They interviewed like people like Donald Rumsfeld, who was like working with Kennedy at the time. Someone, I don't know, who, what, Nixon, I think. Yeah. Um, and like Colin Powell and like they interviewed like Stanley Kubrick's wife. And she was saying that Stanley Kubrick had like filmed the fake moon landing. And I was like watching this going like, but is this just on TV in the middle of the day? How is this not like headline news? Yeah. This documentary is saying they faked the moon landing. And then it wasn't until the end that I like finished watching it and I was like, oh, whoa. And then I like was like, oh, well, it's April Fool's Day today. And I feel like it was just it's like it was amazing. And I loved like being sucked in by that. Yeah. And then that like revelation. I didn't feel cheated when I, it got revealed to me that 
The moon landing was real and the documentary was fake. <laughs> but it was like, it was just that. You're a rare a, case of conspiracy theorist if you're saying that. Yeah, it was a fun, it was like a fun, it was a fun game. I think it's a fun, just a fun game to play with an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Like that imagination sort of like, yeah. Because you have yeah. fun during it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not necessary to have the <laughs> moon landing be fake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. That is fun. What, here's what else I like about the book. I like. I like books that have a lot of description, like particular detail about things Mm. like, um, or even just like talking to people. Like it's fun. Like I don't know anything about footy, but I love talking to people who know a lot about footy and are really into it. It's just fun hearing stuff explained in detail by people who are passionate about it. (laughs) Cool. Well, uh, we've kind of, Seem to have jumped around. I think we've got, we've built a picture of why you like the uh, why you like the book. Uh, do you have any? Actually, I always do like to ask at the end of the show. Do you feel like you have any new uh, like outlook on the Savage Detectives and yourself after this podcast? No, not really. I have read it quite a few years ago, so I feel like I'd like to go back and reread it. I feel like it would be a book that would reward rereading. And I wonder if I'd have if I went back and read it again. If I'd have any affection for it, maybe I wouldn't like it. <laughs> Great way to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's uh, thank you very much for being on. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll uh, leave it there. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, also, uh, would you like to give a plug to anything while you're here, whether it's online? content or blah 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 yeah sure uh blake everett and i are doing our show again at melbourne fringe that will be in october come to that it's called blake everett and oliver common dig their own graves okay yeah it's a great show very well worth checking out thanks man no worries and i'll give some links to your own socials and stuff in the oh my description God, thank you so much i'm so I'm, george you're thank welcome you. it's okay it's lovely that's just for you not for everyone wow wow um <laughs> uh, yeah well thanks for being on Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com.